Hey everyone, this is Anarima, Deer, and Allie, and welcome to Pass the Mic. Hope you're all safe and taking care of yourself in the way that you need to. This episode is in light of recent events from the New Zealand shooting and the false active shooter alerts that interrupted the vigil in the Diag this past Saturday. We will speak with Muslim students about their experiences and traumas, as well as highlight the importance of solidarity with the Muslim community. We will speak about campus climate and the cultivation of white supremacy and Islamophobia at the University of Michigan. Michigan in Color is also releasing a statement that we will read throughout this podcast. Here are our guests. Hi, my name is Maya Moak. Uh, I'm a sophomore here, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. Hi, my name is Celine Nasser. I'm a freshman, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. If you want to just start by maybe... What are the few thoughts in your head right now about the situation? I think right now it's just kind of like a really weird time. It's like everybody's trying to just move on from what happened and just go about their lives normally. And it feels like we should be able to because, you know, nothing actually happened. And a lot of people that I talked to expressed feeling kind of like invalidated, like, you know, being so scared and going through so much trauma and then afterwards to be told it's fake. Although that is very relieving and like we should all be happy that it was fake. But it's like... We feel like we freaked out over nothing, and like something within us has changed. Like not, something like isn't the same anymore. But it's like nothing actually happened. You know what I mean? So it's it's like a weird state that I'm in, at least. I definitely agree. I'm glad that it was a false alarm, but I think that's kind of been used to invalidate the experiences that we had, the fear that we had, um, and it's definitely very traumatizing. And I think it's something I haven't completely mm-hmm. yeah for sure I think like being in that situation like the fear is as real as it can get because at that point we literally thought there was an active shooter like that's all the information that we had we had multiple reports we had the police report saying there was a confirmed active shooter which I don't know how you confirm an active shooter there isn't one and then we have people in our group chats just like giving us updates which like we don't know if they're true or not, but we're going to go based on that because that's all we have. And like first and foremost, we're just trying to survive. And then we have people like crying, people freaking out, people having panic attacks. And like you look around and you see all your friends and all these people you know, and like none of you really know like what to say to each other. Like in that moment, you're kind of just like all there together, all experiencing the same thing, but nobody really knows like what to say. And then you end up getting separated, and it's just such a chaotic experience. Like the whole thing was so disorganized, so chaotic, and like myself and so many others are still coming to terms with all of it. Mm-hmm. So do you mind if we read part of our state, the Mike Solidarity Statement, and it's going to be to the security forces. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read that, and then you guys can let me know what you think. So to security forces, DPSS, UMPD, AAPD. As students, we put our trust in you to inform and protect us from all potential threats of harm, both unconfirmed and confirmed. While we recognize that ensuring the safety of an entire campus is difficult to maintain, we feel that the miscommunication and handling of the reports fueled unneeded paranoia and panic. Attendees of the vigil especially face trauma largely unbearable due to the lack of consistent information available. Many ran for our lives as we hid in various places across campus waiting for updates that came slowly and inconsistently. Your failure to inform us in a timely manner augmented the trepidation that was experienced. As we waited for the critical information on how to best prepare, where to go, and if and when the threat was collected or controlled, we feared the inevitability of losing our lives at the hands of another white supremacist. 
In addition to the trauma inflicted on the student body at large, it is important to underscore the addition pain experienced by students of color who are often disproportionately affected by police actions. Historically, POC communities have been plagued with traumatic and high-tension relationships with police institutions. However, as students, we are encouraged to regard police confirmations and actions as the most factual and strongest guides to safety. Thus, it is with, within the intersection of these two relativities that the lack of police preparation and response has inflicted additional harm to students of color. It is both irresponsible and disrespectful to call on the trust of students of color, which has historically and contemporarily been compromised, and to fail at acting with the utmost sense of responsibility and calculation. The inability for police to deal with this manner effectively has further compromised students of color's faith in first responders to keep us safe. Specifically, students contend that delayed alerts and unorganized building clearance are some of the top contributors to student trauma. Yeah, I won't. There's more about how to remedy the effects, but um, do you guys have any thoughts about this? I think that's great. I think you hit a lot of the a lot of the points, especially about the white supremacy part, because even though this attack wasn't real, the fact that it could have been, and the fact that it was very, very possible, and it's happened before in many other colleges, many other places across the world, um, and at the root of all of it is white supremacy, and this university has a, a role in upholding white supremacy with things like letting Richard Spencer come, letting Ben Shapiro come, publishing articles that are fueled in conservatism and white supremacy. Um, it's just crazy, and it's it's like impossible to ignore the burden that POC and the Muslim community in specific face in dealing with like traumas like these because, I mean, the majority falls upon us and um, you hear about these attacks all the time and you hear about these things happening you never think it could happen to you until you literally are put in a situation where you think it is happening and you have to just act accordingly. And I think that just opened all of our eyes to the possibility that something like this happening isn't very far-fetched. I definitely agree with that and also, um the part of the statement about miscommunication, I think, I mean, I'm grateful that we have security measures and that we have people here to protect us, but um, the miscommunication definitely created most of the panic, especially for those that were attending the vigil. Um, and to those that didn't experience it, all that they are reading online is that it was balloons being popped or it was just a false alarm. And I think they don't understand and they're not aware of, of what that felt like to be there. Um, and it was something that was blown very out of proportion because of miscommunication. And I think for a good hour or more, we had no idea what was going on. The balloon theory didn't exist yet. And all we knew was that there was an active shooter. We saw police officers with their guns searching. Um, so that was a very traumatic experience for a good amount of time. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And I think that it's completely impossible for people who weren't there to actually feel the weight of the situation and understand how terrifying it was. But at the very least, I would hope that people could at least be respectful and try to empathize and not jump to conclusions. And now it may seem silly that, oh, it was just balloons popping that triggered all of this. But like Celine said, we didn't know that for like a good hour or more. We had no idea that wasn't like that theory didn't even exist. The active shooter was confirmed, and all we knew that we were like in imminent danger. And so I feel like any way that people responded or reacting or are still reacting is completely valid and fine, and should not be like overlooked or like ridiculed at all. Um, 
Do you think you guys would be comfortable with talking about kind of the blatant, I guess, discrimination and racism within that event, like how, like earlier in the uh, uh, our meeting, like talking about that experience with the drivers and like, like what that caused. After um, I had gone back to my apartment and reunited with my roommates, um, one of my roommates who I was with at the vigil, who I got separated from, ended up being in the group that um, ran out of Hatcher after they had, we were all hiding in there for like a minute and then they announced that the shooter was in the library. And so we all ran and we all dispersed and a lot of us ended up um, like in separate areas off campus. And I think Selena, I think you were in the group that, yeah. that ran away. So um, I don't know if you noticed this, but well, Arisha told me that she and a couple other Muslims were like in a group running um, down the street and so were a group of white people and there were cars just like going up and down the street and then the cars would stop and see these frantic group of white people and pick them up and take them and then they would see this group of Muslims and completely just disregard them and just drive by and I think that is just so insane to me that at a moment like that where where you think that Muslims are being targeted and you're just going to completely disregard them and their lives and only pick up the white people because that would make you f make you feel the most safe I don't know like that to me is just crazy. Um, I was part of uh, a group that ran away, and we were running frantically. We were a large group. No one stopped. There were quite a few cars passing by. I'm not sure if most of them were aware, but I, f I have a feeling that many of them are probably aware, considering they're driving in the city. Um, so for them to see students running, trying to find somewhere to go, and not even paying attention to it, it was... I can't say I'm surprised, honestly, but it's upsetting. You also spoke about how, like, everyone was calling their families, and, like, it was so real in that moment. What is, like, can you speak to your experience in that and, like, what was happening in your mind? Yeah, um, so my first instinct when all this happened was to just grab my friend that I was with and run to safety. And then after we were all in the library, um, my second instinct was to call my roommate because I knew that she was getting ready to come to the vigil and I wanted to make sure that if she didn't leave yet, that she didn't leave. And so I called her and then after that, after I had taken care of like all of those things, I called my mom and I told her what was going on and she was just so worried. And then um, I, this is so dramatic, but I texted my family group chat because like, I have a group chat with my mom and my sisters. And I was like, if anything happens to me, I love you guys and I'm sorry for everything and blah, blah, blah. And then um, my, my older sister didn't know what was going on because I didn't have time to call her. I only called my mom. And then she's like, well, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? What's going on? And she thought I was joking. And then um, all I said was there's an active shooter here and we're hiding in the library now and that's all I know. And then she called me like hysterical, like bawling, crying, and just asking me like what was going on. And I'm like, I told you all I know. Like, like, don't worry, I'm safe right now, but I'll keep you updated if anything happens. Um, and then she would just text me constantly, and then every time I wouldn't respond for, like, a minute, she would, like, go crazy and just assume the worst, and she's like, why aren't you answering? Please answer me, call me. And then I had, um, I made it to the, the city of Dearborn page back home, like, pretty quick, and so everybody found out about it, and so I had people from back home, like, texting me and calling me, and then I had, like, the, the group chat, the group chats that I'm in, the Campus Sisterhood group chat and the Arab Wolverines group chat were just blowing up, so it was just so overwhelming to constantly be, like, on my phone and trying to let everybody know what was going on and let, and let like, my loved ones know that I'm safe and keep them updated, but also, like, be present in the moment mm -hmm. and know what I'm supposed to do and, like, you know, be aware and alert if anything were to happen, so that whole situation was just very overwhelming. 
Uh, I can definitely relate to a lot of those sentiments. Um, so when we were at the vigil, it was calm and quiet, a very like somber mood, listening to someone speak. And then when we heard, I believe it was an officer or a DPSS officer shout move, everyone just scattered in so many different directions. Um, some people, I had to run and hide on the floor and we were taking cover because we thought like, maybe I'm gonna hear gunshots in a second or we just didn't know what was gonna happen. I think that's the first time in my life I feared for my life, um, especially because we were at a vigil for a, an attack on Muslims that just happened. I thought this was a repeat. Mm -hmm. And that's all I thought. I really thought like it was gonna happen. But then we looked around and no one was there. But then a few minutes later, um, a group ran out of Mason telling us to go the other way because there was an active shooter in Mason. So we ran into Hatcher and I just, I couldn't believe that this was real. I thought it was real and I called my parents. Um, similar to Maya, I had people from back home calling me <laughs> and texting me. Um, and it was just so surreal. I couldn't believe that that, that was happening. Um, and it, it was just a lot to keep up with. Also updating people because we were really experiencing it. We were in, in yeah. the location that you should stay away from. Um, it was just a lot. I remember, because I saw Celine there, we were in the same room for like for some time, and um, we were sitting together, and then every time something would happen, we would just like get separated again, and then we would be like texting each other in the group chat, because I didn't have time to like go and like separately text her, and I was like, where are you? And then it would just get lost, because like everybody was like talking so much, and then she'd be like, oh, I ended up in the group that like ran, she's like, we're running near Ross, and then all I think is like, there's this group of students that are exposed running outside, and it was just so overwhelming, trying to keep track of like everyone you know, and also taking care of yourself. It was just so much to keep up with. I like what you said too about, um, like didn't know if it was real, like is this real and like questioning that reality. Um, what I'm getting out of this is like, regardless of if the incident happened or not, and if the incident was real or not, the fear was real. And like that fear for you and for your community is a reality every day, it sounds like. Um, you you said another thing in the meeting about um, like what your friend's brother told her or something and like oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so my roommate she also wears a hijab and her brother called her while this happened um, she's on the phone with her brother and he was crying and he was telling her listen if you need to take your hijab off do it and she in the moment she was like no that's crazy and he was like no like listen to me if you need to take it off do it like your life comes first and just the fact that this was a reality that, and, and my, I myself considered it too, you know, at, at a certain point I was hiding and I ended up in like this random little hallway in Hatcher with elevators um, with my friend and a couple other people who I didn't know. And then it really crossed my mind because I was like, well, if they're coming this way, they're going to see me and, you know, that's going to put us in more danger or I'm going to be the first one that they fire at. And so the fact that, and I'm sure so many of like my sisters feel the same way, that it would come to this is just crazy. My roommate wears a hijab. She was back home, so she wasn't here when it happened. And her mom's initial reaction when she heard about everything was, I want you to take it off. So it's a very real thing, and it's so unfortunate that you have to compromise your beliefs mm -hmm. because you become a target. Um, and regardless of whether it's real or, or not, it was a false alarm, but you still feel scared every single day. And I feel scared for my Muslim sisters that are visibly um, Muslim.
Yeah, I think it's a very real fear, and um, it's a reality that we live with constantly. Thankfully, we've never experienced something like this, but so many Muslim girls across the world do. I mean, just in 2015, three Muslim students were shot because they were visibly Muslim. Um, women in the UK get targeted like on the daily. I remember that story of the woman getting attacked um, in the UK because she was visibly Muslim. And just the fact that we are literally like, we wear our identities on our sleeve mm -hmm. and our identities put us at risk, like directly at risk. Um, and that's a reality that we have to live with, mm -hmm. whether the attack was real or not. Can you guys talk more about that visible identity and what, how that's been for you personally, like navigating that and like also being women too? So there, I feel like there's so many layers to it. Um, being a woman and then being a Muslim woman and then being a visibly Muslim woman and then being a visibly Muslim woman who is also Arab mm -hmm. and just like so many intersecting identities um, play into it. And I feel like growing up, I never really thought that I would be a target because of my identity. And so I never really gave it much thought, but in recent years and especially like this recent year, it, you know, the thought is scary. And the thought that I would have to compromise my beliefs for my safety is scary. Mm -hmm. And um, the fact that myself and so many girls that I know com contemplate taking it off because of that reason, um, especially for people who travel a lot. Like I know my roommate, she doesn't wear one, but she clearly does not look, she's not white passing at all. And she's going abroad this summer and she was like, I'm, I'm scared, like I'm terrified. Um, like. I could literally be targeted and killed because of my identity, like for doing nothing wrong. And um, I think it is just very exhausting to constantly have to like represent your religion and be like the face of your religion, um, even if you didn't like ask for it. I, I would say it's just getting more and more exhausting mm -hmm. to be a visibly Muslim woman in the society and have to wear my identity on my sleeve mm -hmm. wherever I go. Yeah, and it like, it's, it sounds exhausting because it's so often and it's like constantly on every single day exactly. to be vigilant no matter what. We want to approach this statement with caution um, and reinforce that the document we're sharing with you all is a working document that will be released soon. Um, if not, it's already been released and the one that we're working on right now is a draft, so. Um, but. Supposedly, um, resources say that the sorority under question um, that instigated the whole balloon popping incident, which perpetuated this whole cycle and like downward spiral of hate and fear and discrimination, um, the sorority that was involved is was supposedly a, a sorority of color. Um, and so we wanted to talk about that and kind of introduce that in the working document. Color remains as a safe space for the Muslim community and other communities of color to process, cope with, and address the incidents both on campus and in New Zealand within this past week. We stand in solidarity with the Muslim community and encourage other communities of color to offer support to the groups and individuals directly involved and impacted by these events. 
Living under the global power structure of whiteness, it is our responsibility as people of color to empower one another and empathize with those who struggle with adversity and discrimination so as not to perpetuate further fear and trauma. We must practice extreme compassion, empathy, and accountability during these times which may compromise our ability to collectively connect, understand, and heal. While the attendees and participants of this past Saturday's New Zealand Mosque Solidarity Vigil were not all Muslim identi identifying or people of color, the heavier and long-lasting trauma befalls upon those communities who are at greater risk for target in these uncontrolled situations, especially given the community's recent global events. This is a community commitment we must all participate in in order to prevent Islamophobia, white supremacy, and gun violence, and ensure the safety and freedom of the Muslim community and other communities of color. So, I guess um, opening it up to you two, um, what do you want to see? Like, what's the change you want to see in the communities of color on campus, worldwide? Like, how can we best stand with you and not just have it be this statement? I think um, it's not always true that just because we're students of color that we all um, stand together. I know um, a fellow Arab student was in the gym on campus after the New Zealand attack and there was brown students that were making uh, jokes about it. So I feel like there has to be more cultural awareness, um, religious awareness. Um, solidarity, it's nice in thought, but it's not always practiced. Even it, even if we're students of color and we all face oppression in different forms. So I think um, there has to be more action related to that. Students of color face oppression in, in different ways, or, or the different communities face oppression in different ways, but the one similarity is that that oppression does exist. So that's something I think we all should understand and um, I guess join together. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I really agree that students of color don't always stand with each other, even though we always should. And that goes for my own community, too. I know the Muslim community is definitely not perfect, and the Arab community is not perfect. And we, like a lot of us, tend to forget um, to stand in solidarity with other students of color and people of color. Um, and um, I think that no... No minority group is perfect in their solidarity, and I think that we all need to just um, be more willing to listen and learn from each other and understand the needs of our fellow people of color and um, you know, ask them how we can best support them. And I wanna also stress the fact that there were a lot of non-Muslim people at the vigil. There were a lot of people of color who were not Muslim. There were a lot of white people um, and I want to express my appreciation for those people because I think they can serve as an example to what communities of color should be for each other. Um, I remember when I was stranded with my friend in the, the room in Hatcher and there were I think like two white boys with me and they were like checking the windows and I was like hysterically crying and they were like checking the windows telling me I was going to be okay and like you know trying to make me feel better which helped so much in that moment, you know what I mean? Um, and just this space, you know, you guys, Michigan in color, just knowing that you guys were here and you guys were checking up on us in real time and afterwards. I had so many of you guys reach out to me personally and tell me that you were here. 
and that you were with me and I think that itself just like means so much and we need to just continue to be there for each other and express our solidarity for each other. I also want to add um, when my group ran out of Hatcher and we had nowhere to go, we ran past Ross, it was closed. Um, there was a student of color that went down to the ground level of his apartment building looking for any students that um, needed somewhere to go. And he let in this whole group of Muslims into his apartment, and all his friends were there, and we sat there for like a good hour. And he let us in, no questions asked, asked us if we needed anything, and um, they also dropped us off back to wherever we're staying here. So I was just so, I guess, <laughs> my, my heart was happy. <laughs> I, I just couldn't believe that someone would do that, I guess, because in everything that has happened, I expect the worst, mm -hmm. and I don't expect the climate here to be very welcoming or inclusive or supportive at all. So when that happened, I was very happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there is a lot of bad, and there are a lot of students on campus that really like couldn't care less, and they show it. Um, but there's also a lot of good, and that's, I think, what I choose to focus on. I mean, my friend that was with me was white, and she was my roommate from last year, and she's one of my best friends ever. And she has been so supportive for, like, the entire time that I've known her. And she's taken to, like, really getting to know me and my culture and my religion and standing by me through it all. And she, the whole entire time during the whole vigil incident, she, like, never left my side, like, at all. And if I would get up to, like, go check on other friends, she would, like, follow me, and she would be like, please, like, don't leave my side. Um, and just the fact that she was willing to go through all of that with me and the fact that she was there at the vigil in the first place just meant a lot. And yeah, like I said, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of solidarity here at UMish that I think is worth like mentioning and appreciating. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good like connection to what like white people can do as like the majority on this campus. So I'm just gonna read the two white students portion of the solidarity statement. Uh, it's important to recognize that this event is more impactful to certain communities than others, such as POC and specifically the Muslim community. Though we are lucky there wasn't an active shooter, to many POC, the fear of targeted gun violence is not unfamiliar. Thus, the events that took place yesterday aren't something to take lightly or to make jokes about. To many students, this attack felt like it was targeting their identities, specifically Muslim students, because this event happened at the same time as a vigil for victims of the New Zealand mosque shooting. Further, further in today's age, POC are constantly faced with news of their brothers and sisters being killed specifically for their identities, so the tangible fear of being killed or harmed is continuously being deepened and solidified. It's a fear we live with every day, so the trauma evoked isn't something that dissipates along with the actual threat. It actually only makes the reality that this could happen to us more real. Being complacent in harmful conversations that take the incident lightly further perpetuates the marginalization and silencing of these POC experiences. It is important to stand in solidarity with communities of color and recognize how this incident affects them differently. To all students, we want to emphasize how detrimental it can be when misinformation is spread. Many more chaos and harm were caused yesterday because of the amount of misinformation spread within group chats. The rampant spread of rumors was due to the lack of information from police and officials, but in a time such as this, we need to be responsible in how we share information. Um, we need to hold each other responsible and take actions to shut down rumors that will create more chaos.
I wish more would more white students would like embody that. I'm in a learning community that's centered on social justice and when there was the Tree of Life shooting in October, the students in my hall had like their own little acts of solidarity. They um, attended a vigil. They put their shoes outside their room to represent like each life that was lost. But this time around with the uh, massacre in New Zealand, they were silent. They didn't say anything. So I had to send a link about what happened and a link to the vigil um, in our group me. And even then, I think maybe five or six showed up. And there's a couple, well, there's over 100 people in this program. Um, and I just feel like if you're selective in your activism and um, mm -hmm. if you're selective at all when it comes to social justice, then you're not really doing it right. Um, so it's upsetting that uh, people value certain lives over others mm -hmm. and that this wasn't really, I, there was no sense of urgency, I guess, mm -hmm. to stand up or to speak out about what happened. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I definitely agree that a lot of people are very selective on what they care about when it comes to social justice and standing in solidarity with marginalized groups. Um, I mean, the university itself kind of <laughs> like embodies this because every time there's an attack on somebody's identity who is white or non-POC or non-Muslim, they are so quick to denounce it. They're so quick to fire professors who choose to stand with Palestinian students. They're so quick to denounce mm -hmm. anti-Semitism, which yes, should be denounced, but so should, so should Islamophobia, which is so rampant and so blatant and so blunt and like out there that, you know, just the fact that they aren't as quick to address these things, um, that is very problematic in itself. Don't make any jokes, regardless of whether it's a false alarm or not, yeah. because um, we experienced it and we thought it was real for a long time. Um, and someone responded saying, well, how do we decide what we can joke around about or not? That's how some people cope. And then I asked him, well, were you affected by what happened in New Zealand? Are you part of the Muslim community that's mourning right now? And he said that you don't have to be Muslim to, to mourn what happened in New Zealand. I think obviously if you're a human, you are affected by it in some way, but it's not something that you have to live with every single day. Mm -hmm. And the more that you hear about these things and the more that Muslims are dehumanized and targeted and like, on a policy level, then it's no surprise that there's gonna be more violence against Muslims. And that's something that we have to live with every single day. And this experience was like no other. It's the first time I've ever had to experience anything like this. And I think a lot of the students here don't understand that. I know um, in a group chat for my residence building, they were posting memes about like, waiting till to find out it's a false alarm so we can go to our formal tonight. So there's just, you know, our experiences here on campus look very different and they feel very different. And there's no intersection between students that have that privilege and students that don't. Mm -hmm. And I wish that there was more awareness because um, it doesn't make the atmosphere here very welcoming. How do you think we bridge those, those gaps? I think part of it has to do with the administration. I know, um, for example, Arab students, a lot of the programs and the initiatives that we have are not as funded as those of other communities. So there's really 
less acknowledgement of our communities on campus. And like you were saying about um, speaking out against Israel's actions, um, supporting Palestinian students. Mm -hmm. If it's if that support isn't coming from the administration, I don't expect it to come from students either. Yeah, um, and also um, to speak to your question about how do we bridge that, I think that it's on every person to to realize their place um, in complacence within a system that like breeds this type of hatred. Mm -hmm. um, because if you're not speaking out against it and if you're not taking action against it, then you're complicit in the system. And if you are not making any effort, if you came to this university and you only made white friends and you only went to white parties and you only talked to white people and you made no effort whatsoever to get to know like the campus around you and the people of color and the struggles they face, then you're never gonna be an agent to bridging that gap and you're just gonna create more of the problem that we are working so hard to solve, you know, and it sucks that it falls all on, all, on, on our shoulders to educate the community, to bridge these gaps, to mm -hmm. create these conversations when um, we're not being met with like the same, the same care and the same urgency. I mean, yesterday in the group chat, um, after the buildings were cleared and um, people were walking home, somebody texted in the group chat, she was a hijabi, walking with her friend, and then I think was it like a couple of white boys that like yelled at her, oh, this is your fault, you did this, something like that. Like they literally yelled that at like two hijabi girls who had just left a false shooting scare from a vigil for an attack on mosques in New Zealand. And just like let that sink in that this is these are the people that we go to school with. Um, these are the people that we are in classes with. These are the people that we see on a daily basis and they view us in this way. Right now, we'll be ending our episode. We understand that the content material is very heavy, and if you guys need to take the time that you need to process what has been said and what has been shared, please feel free to check out our episode another time. For those of you who are still um, staying in tune, our part two of this episode of recent events will be available to you. Um, go ahead and check it out, and we'll see you guys soon.